With how the Philippian jailer illustrates what God may want to do in your life today, here is Pastor Ed. This guy that woke up in the morning and may or may not have had any thoughts of God, he's just going to go to work and he's going to do what he's told. We know that he's not a believer, so he's really not connected to God. And the jailer, you know, you have people like that in your life. Like God's doing all sorts of stuff with you and things are happening to you and, and people, there are people like the jailer in your life right now that God wants to explode. You're saved, but God wants to explode on the jailer and he's going to use your life to do it. This is amazing grace. This is What will it take for someone to be saved? And then a related question, often not thought of, what will it take to be the one God uses to save somebody? Well, we'll explore both of those questions today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll get some answers as we open Romans chapter 10. And beginning with a question about altar calls, here's Pastor Ed. There's a lot of debate today in churches among pastors that, you know, you can't have altar calls and you can't have people stand up and you can't have people raise their hand because that's not enough. You know, there has to be more. That sounds very simple. But friend, it is simple. The reason why we do have altar calls here, the reason why we do have you stand, the reason why we do have you raise your hand, the reason why I do lead you in a prayer is so that you can fulfill Romans chapter 10 that with your mouth you can confess your belief in Jesus Christ, that you can demonstrate among people that love you and care for you that belief that has been birthed in your heart in the Messiah. And unfortunately, I think that human nature tends to complicate things. It just can't be that simple, some people say. There has to be more to it. And when you ask them and you have that dialogue, I mean, this story is repeated over and over again where someone will get saved here and they will genuinely believe from their heart that God has done a work of salvation in their lives and they are ready to go for it in the things of God. And then they start talking to someone about it and they hit up on some guy or some gal that says, you know what, that's not enough. And you're like, what do you mean it's not enough? That church isn't teaching you the truth. They're making it too easy. That's cheap grace. Let me just say right now, we do not teach a cheap grace here. The grace of God is not cheap. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and mine. He himself, I don't call that cheap. I call that extravagantly expensive and wonderful. And Jesus paid the price for you and for me. We don't teach a cheap grace here. It's a very valuable, expensive grace that none of you, none of us could work for and earn. I mean, that's it. It's a gift of God. And so you'll talk to people and they go, well, there's got to be more. And then you'll be open. you go, what do you mean, what more? And then, man, let me tell you, once you ask that question, there are hundreds of people that are ready to tell you the more. There are false cults all over town that are ready to tell you, you know, you got to buy these magazines. you got to do that. You can't. you got to be baptized in this church. You, you've got to do this. you got to wear this special underwear. You've got to do all kinds of things to be saved. And I'll tell you, you ask the word more, and you don't ask it to God, but you ask it to people around town, they're going to tell you more. 
You gotta crawl on your knees until your knees are bloody. And then, then you gotta get up and you gotta do this and you gotta wake up here and you gotta give half of your possessions. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And all the while the Lord say, no, 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 no. Do you thirst? Yes, I thirst. Then you just come to me. Come to me and drink, man. Just take it in. It's simple. Even though you and I will face many people that want to muddy it up and make it unclear, it's not muddy. Well, this is what I heard on the radio, Pastor Ed, but does it line up with the Word of God? Oh, no, you know, this author, he's the most popular author in town, and this is what he's... Hey, does it line up with the Word of God? Because that's where you want to find your absolute authority of what God has had to say on the topic. Not some man. You and I would test everything that we hear by the Word of God. I mean, it spills into the Christian life in relation to our connection to God, where we'll receive salvation, but then you'll spend a number of your Christian years trying to earn God's favor. And you work, 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 and it starts out so well. The motives that you have are pure, they're pristine, wanting to please God in all areas of life, but then this feverish level of activity starts to take over. And you do, and you do, and you do, and you never really sense Well, you start to develop because some days you don't do as much and then you start getting bummed out and you wonder if God really loves you or not. You wonder if you're really pleasing to God. Listen, in Jesus Christ, you and I are well-pleasing to him. Simple faith, simple obedience, not allowing the simplicity to be taken away from us. I mean, it's really good, church, to understand and to know and to realize that God just wants us to believe him, to trust him. It's not just believing him at salvation. But that would be the pattern of our life, to trust him. And so what happens? He allows things into our lives that really cries out from our heart. We need to trust God here. Things happen that we haven't planned, that we don't like. And God's saying, I want you to trust me, son. I want you to clean down. I want you to take it into your own hands. And sometimes we can't even take things into our own hands. It's beyond our ability. And God says, yes, I want you to trust me. I want you to hold on to me. God, he loves me so much. He loved me even when I was a rebellious sinner. I mean, when I was living life, you were living life apart from God, against God, resisting God. The love of God was poured out on you. How much more as a believer now does he love you? Does he pour out his love upon you? And it's in that faith, that love relationship with God now that motivates me in service. Like I am saved not by good works, but for good works that God's prepared beforehand for me. Things that I could even imagine. God just unveils it right before my eyes. And I just walk in that simplicity. You and I just live in that simplicity of, you know, I love God. He loves me. His Holy Spirit dwells in me, empowers me. I mean, that's so sweet because not only does God give us the way of salvation, but then now he gives us the empowerment to live out a life that pleases him. He empowers us. It's far greater than some list of rules and regulations. Like, well, just tell me the 20 things I need to do, Ed. I'm not going to tell you the 20 things you need to do. Ask God. He'll reveal it to you. We'll give you some directions, some things that'll help build you up, some things that'll help you keep spiritually strong, but we don't have a list of 20 things you need to do in order to please God. Love God. He'll tell you what, he'll tell you what he wants you to do. I mean, we can't be with you 24-7, but God is with you, isn't he? It's wonderful to know that he'll tell us, no, son, don't do that. Turn that off. Uh-uh, don't go there. No, don't, don't. What are you thinking that for? That sounds a little bitter. Yeah, God, I'm bitter, man. And like you're going to fight God over your bitterness when he's just revealed it to you so he could remove it from you. Yeah, I'm angry at God. I'm angry at her. Really? You're angry at her? Really? You know, she's angry with you too. How about that? <laughs> and it's a miserable way to live, isn't it? 
angry all the time and you're angry at her and you're just all anger and the Lord says, no, no, if you walk in the spirit, I'll move, I'll move you away from the outbursts of wrath. <laughs> you just have peace of God that passes all understanding. The Holy Spirit's wonderful in our lives, actively leading us and empowering us. Salvation's simple, gang. Flip over to Acts chapter 16 before we wind down today. I want to show you what it looks like. This is great. I love this story in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are loving the Lord, serving him. I mean, the gospel's going forth through their lips. People are getting saved. It is great. It's glorious. God's adding to the church daily such as should be saved. And you know what Paul and Silas' reward is? They get thrown in prison, man. That's what they get. They get thrown in prison. Pick up with me in verse 22, Acts chapter 16. It says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. That was their reward for faithfulness, to be beaten up. You know, it's always good to be reminded of our brothers and sisters around the world today who are experiencing the same thing. They're losing everything for Jesus Christ. They're losing their houses, their families. They're losing their health. They're being beaten and thrown into prison right now, all around the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so verse 23, when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Now, if you were just to stop there and you don't know the rest of the story, it's starting to unfold and you might miss a very important piece of the story. I mean, we look at the disciples here, we look at Paul and Silas and we focus on them as we should because God's going to use them greatly. But I don't want you to miss out just on these two words in verse 23, the jailer. God's going to do something great with this jailer. This guy that woke up in the morning and may or may not have had any thoughts of God. He's just going to go to work and he's going to do what he's told. We know that he's not a believer, so he's really not connected to God. And the jailer. You know, you have people like that in your life. Like God's doing all sorts of stuff with you and things are happening to you and, and people, there are people like the jailer in your life right now that God wants to explode. You're saved, but God wants to explode on the jailer and he's going to use your life to do it. So notice, it says, having received the charge, verse 24, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. I mean, he did his job. We find out that he went to bed. He did what he was told to do and he went to bed. He locked them up and... Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were moaning and complaining about being thrown into jail. No, that's not what it says. But if that was the story of Ed Taylor, that's what it would say. I'd probably bellyache about it. I mean, this is one of the most convicting passages in all the scripture. I mean, they haven't done anything wrong. They've done everything right. Their reward is to be beaten up and thrown into the inner prison, fastened in stocks and fastened their feet and... And what are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, wow. I mean, that, my friend, that is convicting. That in the midst of pain and sorrow and loneliness, they're just crying out to the Lord, singing. And, I mean, that's why we place such a great emphasis here at Calvary on music and song. Why the worship team practices and practices and prays over the music and the songs that are going to be selected because we know, even if you walk in here with all messed up, hard heart, oh, I'm not singing a song, I'm not going to do it. As soon as God, you walk into the company of believers, God begins to melt your heart. Okay, so maybe you aren't going to sing the, the song even though the words are up here, maybe, but you'll start, you know, your feet will, you'll, you'll start this stuff, you know, you're like, I'm going to sing. 
<laughs> you start humming in your heart, and before you know it, you learn because God, he melts your heart. Through. I see your feet under there. Don't think, you know, we have little cameras there for your feet. And then we know. We know that the Holy Spirit wants to draw you into his presence, and one of the great ways he does that is through song. That's why some of you have favorite songs. Some of you have favorite songs that are hymns, old hymns that you were raised with with a kid. Some of you have more contemporary favorite songs that God has used with gifted men and women to write it, put it to music, and then it goes right into your heart, and you get to keep it. You get to take it with you. That's what they're doing here. I love that. And they're in jail. And I want you to notice that Paul and Silas are thrown in jail, and they're ministering to the prisoners through their song. And I know for us as a church that these Bible studies, they penetrate prison walls. We get letters all the time from people around the country that are in prison, in jail, and it just so happens that God arranges in such a way where they have their radio time and they just get to tune in, and right there our Bible studies go right in the prison. So for the sake of those that are in jail right now and in prison listening to this, my encouragement to you is to steady on. You're there to minister to the people. For as long as you're there, whether you're there justly or unjustly, God wants to use you. He wants to use you in jail, behind prison doors, especially those of you that are also guards and helpers. God taking you behind prison doors to be an encouragement and a blessing to those that are incarcerated because you never know what God's going to do in their lives. I mean, if you're incarcerated and you're listening to this Bible study, the best thing you can do is repent of your sins and receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. That's where it starts. This whole repetition of, well, I'll get better next time and I'll get better next time. You're not going to get better without the power of God in your life. And if you have a pattern of going to jail, most likely you're going back unless you repent of your sins and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the cycle breaks. It's not trying to get around the law and trying to get as much as you can out of the law. Well, you know, it's a technicality. Forget all the technicalities. Flee immorality. Flee sin, the Bible says. And you don't need to worry about the technicalities. You won't even see a judge again. And if you did have to see a judge again, you could stand there and say, you know what? I've lived an upright life because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. It's great stuff. So, verse 26. Suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. I mean, he is in desperation because Roman law said that if he lost any prisoner, he'd have to pay the price. And if the jail opens up and he loses all the prisoners, he knows, forget about it, man, I'm done. But see, God is using Paul and Silas and he brings this shaking into this jailer's life because he wants to speak to him. And so... Paul cries out, it says, verse 28, with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Now that's a miracle too, because all these unbelievers haven't left. They're all there. Not only is Paul and Silas there, but nobody has left. Because God's doing something special. And in that special work, verse 29, he called for a light, he ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And notice, here it is, it's all coming to head. It's all coming to right where God desires. He brought him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household, you'll be saved. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house 
And he took them that same hour that night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized because in the preaching of the gospel now to his family, he opens the door. They come in and preach the gospel. As his family gets saved, they all get baptized. They all start seeking the Lord. And it all started that morning with him getting up and going to work doing what he's supposed to do, even though he wasn't obeying God. He was doing what he's supposed to do. And in all the setup, Paul and Silas getting beat over here, and God takes Paul and Silas, hooks them up with this jailer, all him and his family get saved, and things get turned around. It says, when he had brought them into his house, verse 34, he set food before them. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. I'll tell you, the answer is to believe. If you're taking notes, let me give you a few things that are going on behind the scenes when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just, oh, I believe, you know, I'm, I believe, but your life doesn't show that you believe. Oh, I believe, but I'm going to live my own way. I believe I'm in church, aren't I? I've got a Bible, don't I? Well, what about your life? What's the manner of your life? Look at some things that happen. Number one, when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a realization that you and I are a sinner. You recognize it, and you admit it. So I'm a sinner, and because I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. I can't do this on my own. And number two, the second thing that happens, and there's more, but this is just a good review. The second thing that happens in a person's heart when they believe is they recognize that Jesus Christ is the true Savior. He says, okay, I'm a sinner. The judgment of God hangs on me. The wrath of God's over me. Now Jesus is my Savior. And I recognize that. Number three, in belief, you and I respond to his love. It's a response. That's where the confession comes. I respond. Yes, I believe. I give you my life. I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. Fourthly, there's repentance. It's not just saying, well, I'm a sinner and I believe I'm going to go out and live like a sinner. No, now there's repentance. You turn from your sin. You renounce it. You leave it away. You ask God for help to be delivered from it. And then finally, you receive the forgiveness of God through your belief. It's not just some mental assent in your head, but it's an embracing with your heart. Think about it this way. You know, when you believe something in your head, what do you do? You think about it, you stew over it, you what if it, you go, well, I think, you know. Then you start to become smarter than God in your head because you have these years of experience and you've studied this religion and that religion. And when you just believe something in your head, you can be easily talked out of it. You know, I could just come along and say, hey, hey what have you ever thought about this? You ever thought about it? Throw seeds of doubt into your life. And then uh, with those seeds of doubt, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've taken root. I don't believe in my head. But see, when you believe in your heart... When you believe in your heart, you embrace it. I mean, this is it. This is your life. When you and I hold to something in our hearts, I mean, this is life. I hold on to it. You can't talk me out of it. I'm connected to Jesus Christ, and I believe in my heart, saving faith. It doesn't mean that you're just mimicking something, but that deeply from your heart, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just in your head. It needs to go that 12 inches down into your heart. Oh, please don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean you check your brains at the door. And you don't think anymore. You don't process anymore. You don't study anymore. But what it does mean is that in your life, God is desiring you to embrace him because he embraces you to follow through with what God has taught you. When I believe something in my heart, it changes my life. It completely changes my life. And Jesus came to change lives. Not just the lives of good people either. So, well, yeah, I can, I'm with you so far, Pastor, and you know, I'm sure that Jesus, he saves the good people, right? And I'm not so good, so I guess he can't save me. Not so. It's the whosoever, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're a whosoever? It makes it very easy. 
I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever. Could it be a good Dr. Seuss book, don't you think, you know? <laughs> the whosoever's of God. It'd be a great book for the kiddos. They'd get all into it. Whosoever this, whosoever that, I'm saved. It's not just the good people. You don't need to leave this place today and say, you know, I'm interested in salvation, Ed, as soon as I clean this up. I'm going to clean up. You know, let me get some things in order. I've got this going on over here. I've had this for years. You know, oh, you know what? I'll go home. I'll think about it. Let me work on some things and clean up, and then I'll come back. And then once I'm clean, I'm sure God will take me then. No, 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 no. It's a trip, isn't it? Because it's kind of how we do things at home. Like if I was to call today and say, hey, babe, Marie, I just want to let you know that uh, I'm bringing some people over tonight. Click. Oh, what are you talking about? What's that all? What'd you hang up on me for? I know why she hung up on me. I can already hear the vacuum cleaner turning on. I already know that kids are, hey, dad's bringing people home. Clean this mess up. That's why I like to periodically invite people over, man. Keeps the house clean. <laughs> Not true. Not true. But here's the deal. You know, we have somebody coming over. The house was dirty and okay for us all week, right? So fine, just throw it over here, throw it over there. We'll get it next week. But when somebody's coming over, oh, we can't let them see this. Let's clean this place up and vacuum and do all the things that we don't do all during the week. We're so tired. A lot of people treat Christianity the same exact way. God is calling on you. He's knocking on your heart. And your answer is, click, let me go clean up. Let me go take care of this. Let me do and be in such a way that now, you know, God, let me, let me build my way up so that I can really earn and deserve. And you, you can never earn and deserve the salvation of God. He'll clean you up and he'll do a great, thorough job. And you know what? He doesn't start on the outside, man. He starts cleaning you up on the inside. He takes you and he begins to analyze and focus on parts of your heart that you haven't dealt with for years. You know, the outward will come along as the inward is changed by God. It's backwards to think that I'm going to clean all the out. I'll stop smoking. I'll stop drinking. I'll stop. Hey, listen, you give your life to Jesus Christ, you will stop those things. And you'll have a desire to stop those things and more that we don't even know yet. You'll start working on emotions and thoughts and things that you've been holding on to for years. Things that you have been living, a fleshly, carnal life. It's not cleaning up and I'll get back to you. It's totally backwards to think that way. It's come to Jesus today. Repent of your sins and believe today. Confess with your mouth today. And allow God to invade your life. Saved by faith alone. But you know, the faith that saves is never alone. So you and I, were saved by faith alone. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I give you my life. But that same faith never stays alone. Now God is going to begin to work in your life and you're going to become, as God fashions and molds you, you're going to become some, someone and something wonderful and sweet and productive for the God who loves you. Salvation is available to everyone and so the question becomes, are you saved? Not religiously, not with all these, but have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth? Have you surrendered your life? Have you thrown in the towel of trying to do it on your own, trying to take care of things, trying to work your way into God's favor? Or as Jesus said, are you born again? Not of the flesh, not of outward work, not of a pastor or a church. Nobody can do that to you. Only Jesus can give you new life. Amen. 
How will you answer the question Pastor Ed has posed? Are you born again? If not, you can be. Jesus has promised and has died to give new life to the one who asks. If you've yet to call on him, be encouraged to do so now. Then would you also drop us a line and let us know? You can do that through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And this is Abounding Grace. You can use that same website to access this study from Romans. Again, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, and that can be found by searching for Calvary Aurora. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time and production costs. And think of this, you'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this incomparable story. Just call 877-30-GRACE to make your request and donation today. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 